so I am a big fan of horror movies. And that's not what this Dharma talk is about. But I, I have considered maybe uh, uh, giving some Dharma talks that tie, uh, you know, teachings and practices into popular horror movies, but not tonight. Uh, but I, I'm a big fan of horror movies, and, and every October uh, I watch a lot of them. And I, I try to do a, a 31 for 31, but it's technically a 31 for, you know, 65, because I start, I need to start in September, uh, maybe even late August, because uh, there's no way I have I have enough time to watch a movie every day in the month of October. But, um, you know, I, I watch a lot of newer horror films. I love 80s horror films, because that's when I grew up, and there's a an aspect of conquering the fears that I had when I was a little kid with some of those movies. Um, but every year I, I look for, for new horror movies, and I love that there are decades that I can go back to and watch older stuff, you know. But I had this thought the other day, and I don't know what uh, brought this into my mind. Maybe I was doing the dishes and just a, a time of contemplation, but I had a thought. It's basically, you know, one day I won't be here. You know, I'll, I'll die. I won't be here. And they're going to make all these amazing horror movies, and I'm never going to get to watch them. And it it hit me, <laughs> you know, it really, it it impacted me. It's like I had this sudden, you know, the FOMO, the fear of missing out, the sudden, oh my goodness, there's going to come a time where these amazing films will be made and I won't be there to watch them. You know, me, this big consumer of horror movies. And I thought about other hobbies of mine. You know, there, there are going to be other just, you know, I, I love movies in general. There'll be great films released that I'll never see. Um, you know, music that I'll never listen to, books published, games developed, you know, I'm going to miss out one day. I'm very fortunate, you know, as a consumer with the internet, you can find pretty much everything. And that's great. But that won't always be the case. Um, and, and for some reason, that thought really stuck with me. And I needed to kind of sit with it for a while. Because, you know, I, I think anyone who has studied Buddhism, you know conceptually that we're all impermanent. And beyond conception, we know that all things are impermanent. We see that. And we all know, again, conceptually, that we're all going to die. Um, you know, many of us have experienced uh, deaths of people very close to us. But for some reason, this, this particular way of thinking, you know, hit differently for me. So tonight I wanted to talk about something in, in Buddhism called the five remembrances and you know because these remembrances or, or these teachings are, are related to this idea of, of recognizing that we won't always be here and I think that that's a good thing to remember as grim as maybe we sometimes feel it is as much as we don't want to think about it, it's a useful part of our practice. And these are, are five statements that the, the Buddha asked us to reflect on regarding the fact that life is temporary. And these come from a sutra called the Upajatana Sutra, 
or the subjects of contemplation, as it's often translated, uh, sutra. And there are five of these remembrances. And they are, I am sure to become old. I cannot avoid aging. I am sure to become ill. I cannot avoid illness. I am sure to die. I cannot avoid death. I must be separated and parted from all that is dear and beloved to me. And the fifth one is, I am the owner of my actions, heir to my actions. Actions are the womb from which I have sprung. Actions are my relations. Actions are my protection. Whatever actions I do, good or bad, of these I shall become an heir. Now, the goal of these remembrances, like I said, not to bum us out. <laughs> Remember, Buddhism is not pessimistic. They're intended to help free us from attachments that can trip us up and, and you know, make us make foolish or harmful choices, as sometimes being attached to something can do. And those of you familiar with the story of the Buddha may recognize that the first three of those remembrances are exactly what the, the Buddha encountered that made him uh, pursue awakening. It made him leave his family's palace and, and pursue that, um, you know, sense of understanding. You know, the story of the Buddha uh, was confined as a young prince to the family's palace shielded from everything unpleasant because his father was given a prophecy that he'd become a great spiritual leader, a great ruler, and his father, a king, of course, wanted his son to be a great ruler. So it was like, I'm going to shield him from everything unpleasant. So spent all his time in inside the, the palace. Whenever he went outside, everyone was very careful to make every make sure all the beautiful people were up front. No, you know, gross or nasty things that, that the young prince Gotama uh, Siddhartha would see um, but he took a few trips outside the palace with his charioteer Chana and on these trips he saw an old man a sick man and a corpse and he asked his charioteer Chana like does this happen to everyone will this happen to me and, uh, and Chana said yeah we're all subject to old age and illness and death and so the Buddha, you know, went forth in, in search of a end of suffering. You know, maybe the Buddha saw a great horror movie on the shelf and was like, are, are they going to make horror movies after I'm dead? <laughs> and worried about it. But, so, the first three remembrances are around, around aging, around becoming ill, and around dying. And the, the, the fourth and fifth, the fourth one sort of combines those into this understanding that that also happens to everything we hold dear. And the fifth one is about our actions and how they both follow and precede us wherever we go. So what are we to make of these remembrances? Because these aren't teachings in the same way that, you know, nirvana or the, the pure lands, or the three seals, or the eightfold path, right? That these are teachings. These are just five truths. The Buddha encouraged everyone, 
you know, uh, uh, monks and lay practitioners to reflect on these because they're true. They're impartial. They apply to you whether you're a Buddhist or a Christian or a Muslim or an atheist. These are true. And when we recognize that these things are true, really recognize them, and maybe it's as, as mundane a thought as the one that I had the other day in my kitchen. Or maybe it is because something very big happened, a very big demonstration of the impermanence and, and intrinsic emptiness, uh, lack of permanence of all things. When we, when we recognize that, things become very precious to us. I, uh, I remember after my wife passed away years ago I'd be going through papers and you know you recognize a loved one's handwriting is very uh, uh, important to you and I would see you know any any scrap of paper that she wrote on you know a little reminder to, to herself or to me um, even just in a, a, a cookbook you know wrote down the date that she made a certain thing like we really liked this or something like that you know, when she was alive, that was everywhere. I could count on there being tons of little messages and notes and more and more of her handwriting around the world. But after she died and I saw that, you know, just a little scrap of paper with her handwriting on it became very precious to me. It was very special because I recognized that I, would, I wouldn't get any more of those. Those were incredibly finite. And the goal, even in a situation like that, isn't to cling to those things. I mean, certainly they're important to me, and I've kept them. Um, but it's, it's to understand that the, the people we love, the things that we love, they're not here forever. And so we should never take them for granted. And so we recognize that nothing is permanent. We recognize that we're impermanent. You know, every day is in some way special. We leave that little handwritten inscription on a day. We only get so many of those. And maybe that acknowledgement, that remembrance of the fact that, you know what, I'm going to get older. I'm inevitably going to get sick. It may not be what kills me, but... I'll, I'll be ill. Someday I'll die. Those remembrances, you know, maybe make us less prone to complain so much. <laughs> or be cranky about small things. Maybe the bad day that I'm having isn't all that bad. Right? And we recognize that our loved ones are impermanent. This applies to them as well. You know, from the fourth remembrance, I must be separated and parted from all that is dear and beloved to me. And so we love our loved ones more. We recognize what they really mean to us. And even more mundane things. You know, because the, the fourth remembrance doesn't just say, people, I must be separated and parted from all that is dear to me, including possessions, all my books behind me, 
our hobbies and routines, our favorite travel spots, our rituals and traditions. All of these things I must be separated from someday. And so they're special. We recognize that, you know, maybe the people who we don't like <laughs> or don't know are impermanent. They're in the same boat as us, right? All of their loved ones are impermanent. Maybe someone that they love is aging or is fighting an illness or has recently died. And hopefully that acknowledgement makes us feel compassion towards them because we're all connected by these truths, regardless of what else, what else we hold to be true. The fifth remembrance is a little different. It's focused on our accountability. I am the owner of my actions, heir of my actions. Actions are the womb from which I have sprung. Actions are my relations. Actions are my protection. Whatever actions I do, good or bad, of these I shall become the heir. And that's H-I-E-R. H-E-I-R. Goodness, I can't spell. <laughs> the heir. So it has a few more parts than the other four remembrances. So, so let's break it apart a little bit. I am the owner of my actions. Essentially, whatever I do, I need to take responsibility for. I can't blame it on anyone else. I'm the owner. I did it. It was me. Right? Heir of my actions. What does an heir do? An heir inherits. Right? I inherit from my actions. Actions that I've taken bequeath certain benefits or burdens on me. I can't escape that. Actions have consequences, and I inherit those. I am an heir to my actions. Actions are the womb from which I have sprung. You know, the, the people who raise us, our parents, the people we're born from, we often carry on traditions, right? Having been born from the womb of our actions, we carry on the traditions of those actions. You know, we repeat them again and again, out of habit. But we need to assess those actions and consequences to make sure that our intentions are good and that we're not causing harm. Actions are my relations, right? Like any relations, the relatives, they move away, sometimes very far away. And the consequences of our actions can travel for miles and miles and years and years. We can't always keep track of them. But wholesome actions can be like a, a, a friendly family reunion, right? So actions are my relations. Actions are my protection, this remembrance says. When we act skillfully, we're above reproach. We don't have to worry, ah, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Was that the right thing? Should I have done that? Because acting unskillfully can strip away protection, can make our life more difficult. And lastly, whatever actions I do, good or bad, of these I shall become the heir. So my actions are my children, so to speak, right? They carry my name with them. 
People sometimes look at children and think, well, who raised them to do that? So this fifth remembrance lays out all the ways that we're connected to our actions and reminds us that our attitude to the first four, you know, the impermanence of our of ourselves and of our loved ones, of our own youth, of our health and of our life, whether we cling from a place of ignorance or appreciate from a place of wisdom, that attitude creates our actions, which we wholly own, which we inherit, which we are sprung forth from. So connect to connect these remembrances back to my very mundane worry about all the horror movies I'm not going to see someday because I won't be here. All the Dharma talks I may not give because I'm not here. I could let that bug me. I could let that put me into a panic spiral where I need to watch every single movie right now. <laughs> right? Everyone ever made. The silent black and white ones up to the one that's, you know, ones that are coming out in theater this month. Because I could die any day. And I could panic. Or I could remember that everything is impermanent. And really enjoy the opportunities that I have to engage in this hobby. Every late August to September to October when I watch these movies. Because one day I won't be able to. Maybe because I'm not here. Maybe because my sight will fade or my hearing will fade. Or my interests will change. You know, maybe I'll get really into romantic comedies instead. <laughs> and I'll do a, you know, 28 for 28 in, in February for Valentine's Day. Probably not. But everything's impermanent. So I want to close with some brief lines from one of our daily liturgies. We do... Uh, we have several liturgies I, I mentioned in our Book of Common Meditation. And the one that we normally do for our meditation services and for these uh, virtual liturgies here is uh, Liturgy of the Day C. Um, the first Liturgy of the Day, Liturgy of the Day A, uh, in parentheses, uh, has a, a recitation for the assembly called the Way. And the last three lines of that recitation connect beautifully to these five remembrances. Time is fleeting. Do not hold back. Appreciate this precious life. So I hope as always that uh, these words and, and this reflection on those five remembrances uh, is helpful. <laughs>